Blog Talk Radio. The homeless is still homeless. The poor is still poor. Yet we find billions of dollars to fund senseless war. And yes, we're fighting terrorism. What about the quiet racism? Dividing among ourselves. Somebody's crying for help. Heaven is listening. Heaven is watching. Heaven knows. And they may not play this on the radio. Cause the devil don't want you to know. The homeless is still homeless, the poor is still poor, yet we find billions of dollars to fund senseless war. And yes, we're fighting terrorism, what about the quiet racism, dividing among ourselves, somebody's crying for help, heaven is listening. Heaven is watching. Heaven knows. And they may not play this on the radio. All the devil don't want you to do. Welcome to the Unbuzzing Press Show. I'm your host, Bishop L.J. Hillary, and I'm here (laughs) still shaking my head. Still shaking my head. Um, I went to the command center to try to figure out uh, some of the best advice that I could give America. Um, I was thinking back and I was cognitating on what we had did before this, because we've been through this before. And it baffled me for a moment that we... We just continue to go through the same thing over and over and over and over again. I'm glad to see that Americans, black Americans, but all Americans have um, have, uh, have come together to say that we're tired of the tyrannical, uh, we're tired of the flagitious mercenaries continuing to murder citizens. This is over the United States. And we're tired of the thug gang-like mentality that continue to just be reflective of these PDs and these uh, law enforcement nationwide. More particularly, we're getting tired of when you when we take discipline on one, others send up a, a message that, hey, uh, we're going to resign because we don't like you taking discipline on 
my fellow brother, gangbanger. So we're all going to uh, resign. I would say, let's get it straight. You didn't resign. You decided not to make the overtime money uh, and the hazard paid money to go out there and beat and shoot innocent people. So, yes, and, and I would accept that resignation from not just that particular position and time and job. I'm going to take that resignation completely from the PD. Uh, when we have uh, officers turning their backs on the mayor and turning their backs on, uh, 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 you know, those individuals who scorned them, I said, no, don't turn your back back around. Keep walking. When you get through with, uh, with, with, with your protest, our authority and the admonishing you for what you're doing, then we're going to go ahead and accept your resignation. Uh, turn your back, but keep your back turned, because you turn your back on your pension, you turn your back on you turn your back on uh, taking care of your family through uh, the taxpayers' dollars. When you kill a suspect, because there's a lot of people that are still in the 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 the, the mindset that they got to take a side and. And uh, you know we gotta back we gotta back our blue back our back our cops back them back them with your paycheck back them with your savings back them and we know that most of these cops that get indicted immediately the GoFundMe blows out of the out of the roof they have tens of millions of dollars waiting for their um, their defense fund uh, and that's fine. I just think that that money should go to the families of these suspects, these innocent civilians that are being murdered. Uh, when we allowed police departments to uh, change in terms of community policing to tactical uh, community or urban warfare, we made a grave mistake. We made a mistake because we said that it was okay for you to start utilizing the combat uh, training that military people have uh, against enemies on U.S. citizens. Now, I, I say to those police unions and those individuals that want to advocate that it's acceptable, who've never been in the chokehold, who've never had shotguns placed on them, uh, uh, I say to them, you should, you should uh, take a take a take a, a breath, and, and 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 walk in the moccasins of those other citizens. I'm not going to say blacks because there are all races that suffer uh, the the abuses of peace officers. We, we have to do something. We have to do something. So let me tell you what I came up with. I came up with this a long time ago, and uh, we had uh, one of the police officers from the LAPD, retired police officer, to come in, uh, and we talked about it. We put a, a committee together. So let me say this. We need to make sure 
police officers have insurance. So I'm going to be pushing the cop, I just said it, cop, C-O-P, cop malpractice insurance. Cop malpractice insurance. This is an insurance that police officers, law enforcement officers, sheriff deputies, state troopers will all have to have themselves to carry a gun to work for the public. Now, uh, starting today, we will start working on this initiative, getting it on billboards and social media and to the politicians. I've sit back and I've watched and see if Black Lives Matter or persons that are out speaking are going to ask for this. And, and I think that the March on Washington is going to be wonderful. But if we don't get something tangible to make the peace officer, <laughs> the cop, because we, we know that peace is not something that is being uh, delivered these days. Um, if we don't put something on the table that will make him himself refrain from beating and maliciously murdering innocent taxpayers, then they're going to continue. Can't stop the blue line protection that they give to one another unless something is in it for them to lose and or gain. And for the most part, a cop that does not back his fellow cop is, is a rat and he doesn't receive that same backing, whether he's right or wrong when he's out there. We've seen it played out in the media in court where cops that uh, come forward and tell the truth, they're pushed off the force. They're putting, they're put in dangerous circumstances where they uh, have their other uh, co-officers to set them up uh, or orchestrate the situation that make it very dangerous for them to be a cop. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna initiate this cop malpractice insurance. For those individuals that don't know, uh, you know, why we should do this, well, your doctors have it. Your doctors have malpractice insurance that they have to carry themselves, regardless of what hospital they work at. They have to, uh, uh, they have to have malpractice insurance. Uh, your lawyers, nationwide, they have to carry malpractice insurance. Uh, you go to school, you have a training, but you're practicing. We have to get to a point where we recognize that law enforcement is practicing too. And since the practice has become very bad, we want them to carry their own malpractice insurance. Cop malpractice insurance. When you commit a crime, we're not, as taxpayers, going to pay ourselves. Your insurance is going to pay us. Your insurance is going to pay society back for what you've done. And in order for you to maintain that position that we give you to carry a gun and to get on the stand and lie like the Dickens, if we catch you, your insurance is going to have to pay. And guess what, people? We don't have to stand in line and, and protest and get shot in the face with rubber bullets and get beaten till our ears bleed. The insurance company, the other, <laughs> the other shark, they're going to deal with that. They're going to handle them. They're going to send a pink slip 
to the police department and say, hey, we're not paying for him no more. You got 90 days to find some other insurance company to carry him because we're done. Excessive force or him lying on the stand, getting caught, cheating, beating, we're done. So guess what? The department is going to have to say, hey, buddy, either you get yourself some insurance or we can't carry you anymore. So you're going to have to get take your firearm and your authority to beat and shoot people to some other department. Now, guess what? Here's the great part. When he puts the application in, because we know that there's sometimes jump from department to department, he's going to have to put in his application that his insurance is going to end within that 90 days. So that department that he's going to, they're going to know that if we hire you, within 90 days, you have to bring a new insurance policy to us. But guess what? That's the day that you stop working regardless to when we hire you. This has been well thought out. Um, We've had police officers, former police officers, and chiefs of police on this radio station. I've been interviewing them for the past six years regarding the necessity of something like this. We went so far to even put a committee together to see if initiative in California would be uh, something that we could do. So now that we have decided that we can, we will be putting on social media uh, the petition for you to sign as we believe that this is the right direction to go in. Now, we support any and all other let me rephrase that. We will support any viable solutions but this is one that we have come to fruition if there are other solutions that people have we're willing to accept this and put this down this is the time and we would hope that everyone would get behind us and we have a website that we are setting up and it's simple to remember it save america foundation this country was founded on standing up the people standing up so we're going to continue that and we're going to actually stand with us we will be putting the petition on petition.org we will be walking in the marches we will be in Washington D.C. we will be going around with our petition van getting people to sign we will be speaking out in your communities around the nation. This will start in California and it will spread like the California fires everywhere else because we want to know why should we as taxpayers pay when it is proven that a law enforcement has abused his authority and has murdered an innocent taxpayer. Why should we as taxpayers pay that money? That money should come from them and their insurance companies individually. Now, for those persons that are just looking for a reason why this won't work, law enforcement should be under the same scrutiny as doctors and lawyers. They should carry their own insurance. Now, guess what? That 
law enforcement officer will be able to write this off on their taxes as do lawyers and doctors at the end of the year. This is an expense that gets written off to do business in that state. You have to have insurance to drive a car. Why shouldn't you have insurance to shoot somebody? So we're asking that uh, uh, that you come that you come and uh, participate, participate in you know doing the right thing. Now I've heard a lot of my friends say, "Hey, I was with them until they started looting." Well, this doesn't have to do with looting. This doesn't have to do with hurting innocent people. This doesn't have to do with protesting and kneeling. And if you can't get behind this, I don't think that you're really interested in getting behind uh, anything within this movement. Because we've had people that couldn't help, wouldn't help because they just couldn't see themselves kneeling before the national anthem or during the national anthem. And that was so disrespectful. Then the protesting started. Well, they didn't have to protest at the city hall or at the jail. Oh, now I'm not behind them because they burnt down the jail. That just shouldn't have burned down the jail. I was with them until then. Then you got the people, well, I was with them until they started looting. I'm going to just tell you clearly, you're not with them because you're not a part of them. And um, maybe you are a part of the other side. You know, and sometimes you just got to take credit for who you are and what you are. We are taking credit for who we are. We're accepting responsibility for what we are. We're going to get behind and in the front and on the side of this movement, and we're going to continue to do our part. We're asking that if you are encouraged to do the same, grab a hold of a pen. Remember, www.nationalombudsman.org is our website for Ombudsman International and National Ombudsman, but we will be setting up a new nonprofit uh, website that will specifically deal with this issue of police brutality and the wrongful murdering of innocent men and women, children in this country. And we will be asking for cop malpractice insurance. Just remember, it's very simple. Cop, officers, police, and sheriffs. (laughs) Malpractice insurance. Uh, (laughs) And I know that's terrible, but it's the truth. Corrupt officers, police, and sheriffs, malpractice insurance. Corruption is something that's real. And we believe that if you're a good cop, you're going to love this. Because now you get to have the lowest rate of insurance. You no longer have to worry about the PD or the city being responsible for your actions. And you get to be able to, just like when we were in school and college, you get to show your grades. Hey, I've been in the department 10 years. I have no incidents. I only pay the minimum for my insurance. I get an attaboy every year, plus I get the write-off of my taxes. Wow, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful? 
there's no civilian uh, uh, oversight over you. That's what some of the cops are saying. No, I don't want a civilian oversight over me. Hell, I don't need no civilian oversight. On the other hand, you hear them saying, well, I don't want a cop investigating me in internal affairs because, you know, uh, he could have been my partner one time and had something against me. I could have arrested somebody that he likes, and now he's going to get to have me uh, kicked off the force. And, you know, there's nothing, there's never a, a, a uh, good way to do it. Well, that, 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 that panel of ex-chief uh, of police, they were never anything anyway. And, and now they, this is their way to get back at, at cops because they never could because of our unions. Ah. Guess what? Every day, cops throughout this nation stop people, give them tickets for not having insurance. So obviously, that's it. That's a part of the enforcement. But they kind of, you know, I mean, they could wave a lot of things. They could wave, you know, you have them driving without a license, and they still let people go. They see me with a broken tail light, they let them go. That insurance, that's something that they hey. I got to tow your car. Got to tow your car. You got you get you ain't got no insurance. You can't be driving this vehicle without insurance. So I don't want them shooting without insurance. I don't want them taking advantage of any more United States citizens and those individuals who are here visiting. Enough is enough. It's time that we all stand together and we say, nope, not anymore. Um, Not anymore. So I would like to know what you think. Um, I've seen you guys are texting. Jesus, I can't do that and do the show too. So we'll get you all filled up. We'll get it all. uh, uh, we'll We'll get you dialed in. Glad that you guys are excited about this. Uh, that makes me happy. That makes me real happy. Yeah, we've been discussing this for some time. Yes, we have. And I'm going to thank all you guys for for uh, doing this. Uh, there's so much going on. Yeah, Rihanna, I guess you're out and about. I uh, can't get that. Uh, oh, yeah, Black Lives Matter. Well, we don't. We we're not. We're not going to be diverting a whole lot of our attention to um, some of the other organizations and what they're doing. We will be supporting them. We'll be going out, but um, some of this is not going to cost a lot of money. Some of these changes are going to cost the system. Um, and we want them to pay uh, out of their own pockets. We want them to just simply become responsible. We talk about accountability. How do you make people accountable? You make them accountable by, you know, them being denied uh, future insurance protection because of their actions. And it's not the actions of the partner. It's not the actions of the sergeant. It's not the actions of the other deputies or the other police officers. It's the actions of them themselves. You know, the same responsible people that we're supposed to be uh, protecting and enforcing the laws on, 
Now we get to become those same uh, persons that are being looked at and our actions being looked at. No longer will we turn our head. How many officers do you know that have ever been um, admonished uh, publicly for lying on the stand and being caught perjuring themselves? They don't lose their badge. They don't get fired. But year after year, we have thousands of cases that are overturned because it is proven that cops lie. The cops lied. So um, we want to change that by making real accountability and putting their own money to protect the innocent civilians and taxpayers. That's what we're going to be doing. So we are excited, 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 excited about bringing this back forward. Uh, review by the taxpayers. Um, we just we just have to do something, and this is this is what we have decided that our contribution would be. Ombudsman International has decided that they would sponsor this bill, sponsor this initiative, and sponsor this fight. And uh, so that's what we're doing. That's what we're up to. We need your help too. And we're excited about it. I just, there's so many things going on. And I just wanted to um, bring that to the forefront, bring it to the, um, uh, the people and say, hey, listen, um, what can we do? What can we do? Wow. That's all I can say. Wow. So you're looking at the reports and you see many uh, police officers are now taking a knee, of all things. Taking a knee. These are, I mean, that is an amazing feat. Um, seeing officers taking a knee. To think that just a year ago, we had um, officers refusing to go to the Super Bowl because of, uh, in protest of Beyonce Cabernet and his efforts to protest peacefully. It's just amazing to me how we have individuals who say, well, if they were just protesting peacefully, it would be different. No, that's not true. There are people who don't want any type of protest. There are people who don't want to hear anything, who don't want to know anything, who don't believe anything in terms of social justice, in terms of equality. For all. So we have got to do better. We've got to come to a place where we we start saying uh, we're going to look everyone. 
we're no longer going to the wrongful actions. I am not amazed, but I am so proud of my countrymen, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, women, children coming out and standing up and standing together. So I'm hoping that this will show uh, people that are watching us as a nation to say that you can't divide us. Together we stand. And if we stand together, then we are one. And that's what this country is all about. Us standing together. Us realizing that if you feel pain, so do we. And I've heard you, Americans. I've heard you loud and clear. I can't give any more attention to the 1% who are miserable themselves because we have proven once again as a nation we're better than this. We're better than this. And if one of us is murdered, have our life taken away from us, then we're all in jeopardy to one day that person being us. There are people that will tell you they went and fought for this country in Vietnam. And when they came back to America, they were spit on. They were kicked. They had rocks thrown at them. They were abused. And most of the promises that were made to them when they were in the jungle were forfeited because of the sentiment of most Americans when they seen the missions that they were made to do. We have some dirty secrets in this country, and we have to get out and get out of our little comfort zone and recognize that some Americans suffer. I will tell my generation this. Just as we did not have a whole lot of, I wouldn't say respect, I don't want to use that word, a whole lot of interest in what the baby boomers to say or give their excuses about why they did what they did. This new generation don't want to hear the excuses of Generation X for what wasn't done and why we left them in such debt and such ill repair. Understand, there's a new generation that is emerging to take their helms. And whether you like it or not, you're going to give them willingly? Are they going to be taken anyway? As we look at the seniors in the Senate of the United States Congress, we recognize that the majority of them are in their 70s and 80s, and some in their 90s. They will be replaced, and they will be replaced with people that have a different mindset. Congress. They will be replaced. Those members of Congress will be replaced. And if they're not replaced soon, remember this conversation. 
because much of what we say we believe is not being projected in the actions of those in control and power. It should not have taken a police department to be burned. It should not have taken three or four days of looting to bring people to the uh, realization that murder too should be on the table. It shouldn't have took that. But it did take that in order for the other cops that were standing by to even be charged. So I say to those that are listening, hear me with your heart, not with your head. Hear me with your heart. If it were your son, if it were your dad, who's your uncle, who's your teacher, who's your preacher. If it was your brother-in-law or the brother that you don't really even like that much, doesn't bring anything to the to the dinner uh, fundraise uh, uh, picnic, or he's but he's your brother. If it was him, how'd you feel? How'd you feel? And what would you think should be done? I listened to the brother of the murdered victim. I'm going to say murdered victim because we need to say that too. Murdered victim. His brother said, we're better than this. And don't loot and hurt innocent people in my brother's name. So I often listen to the victim's family. And in most cases, they all ask for come. They all ask for peace. They all ask for understanding. But they all scream that they just need to stop. So join Ombudsman International, National Ombudsman, and our efforts to support an initiative to change the law with regards to corrupt cops nationwide. Support the initiative. Corrupt officers, police, and sheriffs which also includes state troopers, and with the malpractice insurance. They should carry their own malpractice insurance. And we're just asking you to join along with us to make that happen. And uh, that's where we're going with this. I know that we have a lot of people out there that's thinking to themselves, man, can we do We are trying our best. We are trying our best. So what else is going on? Well, this nation is definitely going through its pains. Going through its pains. I want to be the first to say I, I recognize It's been a crazy, very, very so who knew? See if we can get we have so many things that we have to do. So many things. 
Collins. We're going to have Ambassador Bennett. How are you? I have been so worried. Ambassador Bennett, I'm going to welcome you to the radio show. We're doing the Ombudsman Press show right now. And I know that you have worked with a number of presidents and you have been the ambassador of goodwill. You have made a lot of legislation and made peace in a lot of countries, including ours. How do you feel about what's going on right now? And what we're doing is we're trying to, we're, we're trying to push this initiative regarding police officers insurance. We want the peace officers to have malpractice insurance as do doctors and lawyers. And we think that if they had their own personal insurance, if they had to carry their own personal insurance, they would think twice about doing something that would cause them to lose their insurance and lose their jobs. And uh, so that's what we're doing right now is discussing that. But back to the side, Ambassador, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine. I'm just worried about my friends like you, and I don't want anyone to get hurt. I think the peaceful Peace is supposed to be a good thing. It's supposed to be a happy moment. So I think that a peaceful protesting is going to go a long way. You know, I was just talking about that at the beginning of the show because I've had so many people to call and question, you know, my whereabouts and if I was fine. And, you know, and they, they, you know, I tried to explain to them that many of these protesters were getting hit in the face with batons, shot in the face with rubber bullets. One of the persons who even trained peace officers uh, was was struck in the groin with uh, the rubber bullets, and he will never have children. Uh, oh, because, wow. So we have a situation where we have to address these things. But, but it was, if it wasn't for the protests that had grown violent and the rioting, we probably wouldn't have had the murderer charged with murder two right now. We probably wouldn't have the three cops that were probably not have any type of discipline to be tried as accessories to the murder two uh, uh, case. So I, as I will, will say once again, Ambassador, I don't condone violence. I don't condone the rioting. But Martin Luther King said it best, peace. So when you come That's peace, true, and some people don't want it. So. Exactly. So this is a new generation. And uh, we had our turn, and we used peace as a, and diplomacy as a means of trying to make changes. But we're here in 2020 asking for the same thing that we asked for in Selma, Alabama. We, we, we right here in 2020 asking the police, don't sick your dogs on us for protesting peacefully. Don't shoot us even with rubber bullets and put out people's eyes. We've seen a, a very elderly old man pushed down, hit until his blood was coming out of his ears. That. Yeah, I saw shooting. that. I saw that. I, I thought that was awful. Awful in America. One of the most powerful countries in the world, and you still have people, our senior citizens. Now, if it were anybody other than a cop who struck that man, they would have been brought up on charges of abuse to the elderly. 
But because that elderly man was out protesting for Black Lives Matter, then it's okay in America to bust his eardrum, hitting. Travel around the world, meet presidents, and meet people that you've met. Um, that has also given you an opportunity to have experience to see uh, great wealth as well as poverty. Yes. Tell me why in America in 2020 there's still such that great divide between the super wealthy and poverty. Oh, I think it's getting wider. And mm-hmm. um, the disparity, you're mentioning other nations, let's say in India, or you go into certain countries in Africa, um, divided yet. And I don't want it to get that way. In some areas, it may be, you know, but um, we do need to focus on bringing, I mean, we hardly have a middle class anymore. And that's to underscore what you're saying, the divide. Um, people are trying, you know, especially with the COVID, the, the pandemic, people that have always worked all their lives are in food lines right now. And it shouldn't be that way. We're not protecting our own people. And that's what the nation's supposed to do. Wow, you just said a mouthful. People that thought that they were middle class three months without getting a check. And, they, and they, some of them, did, most of them did get checks. Uh, most of them got stimulus money. But it didn't change the fact that our country is in such, we have so many people pay, living from paycheck to paycheck that we've seen great stores shut down because they didn't have a check because consumers mm-hmm. couldn't come in and spend money. And they robbed Peter to pay Paul. And they they have that 30 days that they usually would pay, but they're trying to hustle to get the money together before it's due. And you and I know most people do not know how to hustle. <laughs> right. Say that again, Ambassador. <laughs> they don't know. Most people do not know how to hustle. I mean, I made sure my sons knew my boys were raised on a mountain. They know nature. They can you know, find a nest of baby rattlesnakes and get rid of it. But I took them to USC and charter school that I was trying to help years ago. And I said, you may be able to survive in nature and on the mountains and be an Eagle Scout, but you cannot survive in this neighborhood. I said, these kids may not be able to do what you do, but for sure you cannot survive these streets. The streets are, you know, it's like a jungle, and um, they're dangerous. So I, I don't know, you know, I there is not a magic wand that's going to make it go away. And I think that is why we're talking about peaceful negotiations to be done. And the laws, someone needs to raise the money to write the laws. Writing laws costs money. Forget that. Someone has to pay the attorneys and this and that. And so, if you want the law changed, that's what, you know. You need to consider also the cost to have it changed. 
the legislation, the the lobbying. You know, I don't have a magic solution. I, I just, you know, agree that it needs to be improved. Are you afraid that something like this could cause us, this nation, to to be really, really, really put into a bad situation? Oh, very much so, because of our focus is not on the safety of the nation right now. It's divided. And we're vulnerable enough with not just our nation, many nations are, because of this mm-hmm. pandemic. And right. now... Our attention is divided with the protest. You know, we have other people that, oh, good, they're, I I don't want to mention any nation in particular or whatever, bad people. But it is a circumstance where people could take advantage of of the situation. Right. Right. That concerns you, right? Oh, yes, very much so. Um, because we've seen it before, and uh, in fact, in the 60s, it, it did happen, and you know, to this day, they've never figured out who there is more than one death that is still, you know, the mis- mysterious crime and who did it and who funded it and this and that, you know, even regarding Kennedy. So, yeah. you know, that there is a prime example. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, and, and, and some of the leaders, you know, they are risking their lives that are doing, that are out there. We don't want anything to happen to them because they are the ones that, some of them that are capable of helping what you're trying to achieve, which is make the change. Right. But I, I think there's a lot of crazy people out there. Right, but we we help them uh, remain crazy when we don't acknowledge that they're crazy and make the you know we have to stand up and tell the truth. No, we that, have to, that I understand, but there are you know there is a lot of mentally imbalanced people that have nothing to do with the protest that would or could take advantage of the situation. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Some people just wait for a hurricane so they can go loot. Some people yeah. but, but but what's important that we don't miss we don't miss this opportunity, but we have to we would even be here. Um, yes. Who had that cop who had eighteen complaints. Eighteen. And he knew the man that he killed. He murdered. And I understand none of them were investigated or acted upon. I I, I did see that article. Um, well, it's sad that they tried to say, well, he had uh, some stuff in his system. It could have been there from days before. What does that have to do with him telling you, I can't breathe, and you're mashing 200 pounds or greater on his neck? And putting oh, your exactly on your knee, you know, on your neck is outrageous. You learn in the battlefield. You learn that tactic 
But if you're out of bullets and you need help for, you need help uh, or someone to come, you can put your hand in your pocket, shifts all your body weight on that person's uh, uh, whatever uh, pressure point, and they can't move. But but you're going to stop all circulation. So he knew he was murdering that. There's no way in the world the man is dying and you don't know it. He murdered him. Simply yeah. that. He yeah. murdered him. And that's what he should have been tried with. He should have been tried with murder one, and he should have been given the same thing or more than what a, a criminal gets when, they, when they're found guilty of murder. Yeah. Well, I, I just think the whole awful, and that, that's all. I mean, I, I saw it when I saw it on the news, like the rest of the country. It was like, there's no words. Yeah. It's, it's too sad. Too sad. There are, but and, and it's not stopping. See, when, when when people shoot cops, they say they've ambushed them. They've ambushed them. Well, come on. People love their loved ones the same way as as, as, as those of us who love cops. I have a brother that's a cop. I have a, a number of Mason brothers that are police officers, and I don't want anything to happen to them. But at the same token, you know, we can't support this type of abuse to continue. So what we're asking is just, hey, support our efforts to get peace officers, law enforcement officers, cops, corrupt cops, all to carry their own insurance so that they themselves can be held accountable through their insurance agents, agencies for their actions. Now, that should be simple. It yeah, may well, not be. Yeah. I don't know. You know, talk to, um, let's see, I'm trying to think here and, and the official, the person that you would approve. The wonderful thing about being in California is California has a, their own ballot. Um, they have their own ballot system, and you can put the initiative on the ballot uh, and they will put your initiative and the voters can, can go right into it and do it. We're going to have the uh, president, the former president, the emeritus uh, of the Los Angeles uh, city council on Herb Wesson and the next hour or so. Uh, and we're also going to have Chester Chong on, Chester uh, is a Los Angeles Sheriff's Department um, deputy, uh, and he is a Chinese, um, and uh, we believe that what he has to say is important regarding the discrimination that Chinese Americans are suffering because of the COVID-19 coming from China. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, the abuses that they have suffered. You know, just because they're Chinese. You know, that that, that that's bad. That makes no sense. I'm, oh, I know. I it's been in the news. It makes no sense. You know. Well, but you know, I think discrimination doesn't make sense. So, I mean. I, 
I don't know what to say. I, you know, we all see it. We all know the words. We all know the added, but it makes no sense. It's, it's so counterproductive. Yes. On many levels, on many levels, not just in the words, but, you know, some things never really go away. You know, you say, um, let's say, I don't know, some sort of remark to any, you know, a discriminatory remark, and they may be able to take it, but, you know, six years from now, it can creep back up and do, do harm. So, you know, it, it's the memories. It's like a war. It, it is, is a war. It is a war. So, it is a war. And... Um, War crimes are war crimes, and um, I, I suspect that um, there is trauma that needs to be addressed on an ongoing basis that nobody ever talks about. I agree with you. Yeah, and um, I, I just think, you know, that um, the fact that I, I, I heard an interview um, it was a local interview on Channel 7, and um, the young man, he, he was a, a black man, and he was talking about the age in which um, a young black man learns how to be around or how to act around a policeman is taught earlier than the sex talk. And yeah. that, that's wrong, you know? I mean, you shouldn't have to have lessons that a fear for a policeman. And this action against George Floyd just underscores all of that. Happens to be black, but it also it happens as um, you're about to, to discuss with, due to the pandemic with the Chinese, but they've been through it before, too. Right. During the old railroad days, they went through quite a bit. Yes, it is. Yeah. And it's not just in our nation that it's happening. It's in other countries, too, and it, it needs to be addressed. We're supposed to be intelligent individuals. It's not, you know, discrimination is not intelligent. Yeah, it is. Ambassador, I don't know how we get out of this because this is going to be a real long, tedious situation. I don't know either because we have so many cities upset. And it's like Chicago, um, almost, for lack of a better term, exploded this weekend with the violent, you know, the, the protesting. So um, it's been going on for over a week now in places like Los Angeles and Washington. So I don't know how you're going to calm all the cities. I think that it has to be authentic. You can't, you can't... Uh... You can't let this happen without having some real changes. Progress, yes. And it needs to be substantial. 
You're right. It has to be real. All of the mm-hmm. double quarantine and, you know, got to get out the vote, got to get out the vote. You know, that's wonderful. Yes, people do need to get out the vote. But the voting is just one part of it. This is the systemic. Probably. This is a way of life. Yeah, that needs to be changed. Exactly, exactly. So we have set back and allowed these things to take place, and we just said, oh, okay, well, we're going to wait. We're going to seek justice. Let's wait and see what happens, and then nothing happens. Yeah. Then it happens again. Oh, well, don't rush to judgment. Let us, the system work. Let the system work to get not guilty because they pick jurors they could care less about black lives, you know, and then you have some other people that are just so quick to believe that if you say black lives matter, you're not saying that other lives matter. Well, yes, other lives do matter, but obviously other lives matter because they're not murdering them every day. So yes, you can say black lives matter and okay. Okay. Do they, do they really matter? Well, who does it matter to? Enjoy your show. All right. Okay. God bless him. Bye-bye. 
Y'all are listening to the Ombudsman Press Show. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Bishop L.J. Guillory, your host. As you know, we just had Ambassador Bennett on. She is a magnificent supporter and a great woman. Uh, If anyone has ever uh, been to the United Nations, she was a premier fixture as the ambassador of goodwill. And um, I tell you, I have really learned a lot from her regarding the peace, and I support peace. I just think that at this point, our country needs to be uh, given a little bit of uh, the pain of knowing how others feel. You know, every four years or every two years, we get this political novocaine that kind of embraces the community and just, you know, anesthetizes us from what's really going on. Well, this is in the heart of the presidential election and congressional uh, seats that are uh, open and, and uh, will fight for uh, that. Meritus, they're Wesson on. Hey, uh, uh, Mr. President, how you doing, sir? Good. I, I got outside of uh, the, the church. I'm in a meeting, but I did want to chat with you. Well, you know, uh, President, I wanted to throw this by you. So we're sitting around with community leaders from nationwide. We're here in San Diego. And we decided that we would come up with something. We, we, we knew that many of the Black Lives Matter uh, uh, sections and sales were, were coming up with different uh, suggestions and demands and things. We decided to go back to what we uh, initially came up with six years ago at a symposium in Washington, D.C. Um, we came up with an idea of uh, police officers carrying their own malpractice insurance. And if they had to have their own malpractice insurance like doctors, like lawyers, then the, the police union couldn't fight it because, you know, that, that's, that's the cost of, of doing business. But it would, they would be able to write it off at the end of the year as a uh, working expense, just like their uniforms. But it would be something that would leave the city uh, without that debt every time uh, there's a lawsuit filed, and one, we're looking at uh, with lawyers uh, how to get that init- a California initiative started in California. But you have been the president of the Los Angeles PD, and I, I just wanted to get anything that you wanted to say about what's important right now and the steps that we, we take now that we have the world watching. Okay, well, I appreciate you uh inviting me to participate. But again, remember, I was the president of the Los Angeles City Council. Okay, that's a, a big difference in being the president of the PD. And oh, referencing, oh, oh. you know, I, I'm kind of messing with you, Bishop. Okay, <laughs> okay. And, and, and referencing Lives uh, Matter and the protests that are going on throughout this country, from California to New York, from uh, um, uh, Florida to uh, Washington. I think it has created a phenomenal opportunity for us to talk about not just criminal justice reform, but uh, reforming our health care system, which has done a poor job with black and brown people, and also talk about economy, our employment, and uh, maybe the creation of a public bank. But where, you know, when the protests subside, they're going to move into conversations about reform. 
and I think that would be appropriate time to add your approach to the voices to the conversation because I, I don't think that we as elected officials should try to dictate what type of reforms occur. I think that we should listen to the people and incorporate ears into what ultimately we do. But if there was an ever an environment or an atmosphere for for structural change, that that time is right now. That's why you are who you are. We just man, you you always have something to offer, and I appreciate you. I know you're in a meeting. Is there anything that you want to say to the public that's listening? Because right now, we need to hear from our leaders like you. Well, we have to realize that we are at a moment in history where there is an opportunity, in my opinion, to literally change this country. And we must remain and not let people change the narrative or hijack the movement because the movement is about creating balance in this country. I think that, I, I, in fact, you said it, the world is watching. The protests in the streets throughout the nation and abroad are the most diverse that I have ever seen in my life, trying to change the system for a hundred plus years. And now we have individuals that are standing with us that are non-African Americans. And I think that, that, that is a big advantage for us. And I anticipate that if we stay focused, stay uh, determined, uh, that we're going to see substantive change. Amen. Thank you for calling in. No, thank you for having me. You take care of yourself and, yes, and to all of the listeners, just be well, be safe, and uh, let's make this happen. Thank you. Okay, Bishop. Mm-hmm. Listeners, I want you to know that, that President uh, Herb Emeritus is running for the supervisor in the second supervisorial seat of Los Angeles County, and we are going to welcome him as a county supervisor. Um, the man is a brilliant, brilliant man who's very, very concerned about you, about you. And I'm concerned about you, more concerned about you than I am about me. So that's why I'm trying to eat a little something because it's 8 o'clock or it's coming up to 8 o'clock. And this is my meal for the day. <clears throat> anyway, we have um, Chester Chong that will be on. And Chester is uh, the former president of the Asian Chamber of Commerce, which is a very important Chamber of Commerce in Los Angeles, as it comprised the Chinese, the Japanese, the Korean um, business owners. And um, we're just going to talk a little bit about how racism has an ill effect on all of us. So stand together. We have to stand together and work together. If if you have not been to Bowlegs Barbecue, you're missing out. Bowlegs Barbecue is 
um, one of the most amazing barbecue spots in San Diego. You can Google it. It is a black-owned, family-ran restaurant. And all I can say is, Lord, have mercy. That's all I can say. Lord, have mercy. And uh, wow. So, a lot of people were um, looting, and they took advantage of um, having an opportunity to see things. Yes, sir. I what do you need to do in Bozeman Press Show? I'm sorry? What's that? I, I want to welcome you to the Ombudsman Press Show. Okay. Show. Okay. Tell us a little bit about the um, Chamber of Commerce that you're with. Okay. And uh, give us a message about the math. Yes. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the discrimination. Oh, yeah. Of course. Oh, it's really bad. Very bad. You want me to go, you want me to, go to Bishop? I mean, to your church? No, no. Oh, talk, let's talk right now, okay? So okay. tell me a little bit about the Chamber of Commerce that you represent. That you okay. Okay. When? Right now? Right now. Oh, okay, let me turn down the, 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 the phone. Okay. You want me to talk about the Chamber of Commerce, what to do, and then you want to say something about the discrimination, right? Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. When? The, on TVs, on the video, or what? Right now, we're on the radio, so just oh. tell me a little bit about the chamber. Oh, sure, sure. Okay, the chamber after the, you know, the pandemic, uh, the COVID-19 coming to the United States, we try to helping everyone. I mean, most like, like uh, the, 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 right, like the general like, uh, police department, like the hospital, like the senior, uh, you know, the nursing home, which we try to deliver the food, we try to deliver the mask and donate the mask and uh, stuff to the people. We try to helping the people. I, I think this is important. Very yes. good. Well, the Chamber of Commerce is comprised of Chinese, Japanese, uh, Korean businessmen yes. who, who, who has a desire to not only be a part of their own community, but help the whole entire community. So when yes. the pandemic began, uh, you reached out and said, hey, listen, People should have masks. Uh, this is much dangerous. You have been to China. You, I mean, you go to China all the time, correct? Uh, yes, in and out. Uh, I, I've been there to talk to the school. Yeah, mm-hmm. talk to the people. And then I try to, you know, like peaceful. We like to work together. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you knew that it was important for people to have masks. Yes. So you donated masks into the community. Yes. And tell them to. Now, what happened after uh, the president and others started okay. blaming China for yes. this pandemic. Okay. And tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. Oh, that, that's un, un, very unfortunately. You know, it doesn't matter to bring anyone. It's not important. Right now, it happened to our country in the United States. We all right. people, you know, most important to president or people have to protect our president, I mean, our citizens first. It yeah. doesn't matter who, who, who who's wrong, who's right. Number one yeah. is we have to educate the people how to protect themselves, how to, you know, save his life. You know, I'm very unfortunate right now we have uh, uh, over uh, almost, almost 2 million people we infected. It's un- unbelievable. And then over uh, 100,000 people, you know, is the dying. So, and more people are dying. You know, for me, it's very hurting. 
you know, people to die. Doesn't matter he's wherever he's a human being, and it is important. It bring people is is not responsible. It's not the 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 word to spread out. The word to spread out have have to be education our citizen, all the people uh, beware and and put the mask on and protect yourself and put, and save the other people too. Save yourself, save the other people. That have yeah. to be education, have to be uh, spread out and talk to the people. It's not just say, oh, I'm doing so good. I'm what what I'm doing is it's nothing. When right. you say that and then help people, no, that's only more people die right now because yeah. the people don't understand how important. You see, right now the problem in uh, the 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 people go riot and going to protest. And a lot of people in Twitter, they don't put the mask too. I'm so worried about that. I'm really right. worried. Even our, uh, our police department and, you know, mm. the LAS, the LAPD, a lot of people just come out with the uniform, but they don't put the mask on. In the yeah. whole United, entire United States, it's not only even Los Angeles, but we talk about the whole state or, or uh, the entire United States people to come out of protest, but people don't put the mask on. I'm really worried about that. We 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 need the people know how important uh, you know for uh, the the virus can easy to spread out for everyone because this is no cure right now. We don't find any. It's not the flu. It's not the regular flu. You you may die. You know this this is I, I I'm really concerned. I'm really concerned. Yes. Let's talk about the discrimination. Yes. Let's talk about the discrimination. Discrimination. There have been many people who discriminate yes. against Chinese, Japanese, Asian yes. American people. Yes. yes. And some of these Asians are born in America. They are as, as American as anyone else. Okay. I, I tell you what. Uh, this is it's unbelievable. Okay. On 21 century right now, people it's educated. People understand we should helping each other to get the world better. It's not only our country, Greek, uh, only I'm greater or you better. No, we have to grow together. So should be no, you know, uh, no, no discrimination that we're coming up. So what I mean is the ethics, all the same, all, all ethics is the same. doesn't matter I'm Asian, the African or uh, South America, the whole world is the same country, it's the same, same one piece. If everybody should be understand and it's the same mind. Helping, how to helping each other. We should not have the world is like discrimination. The world. This is all time. It should be in a thousand years we kill each other. We don't understand each other because the cultural difference. Right now, the day today, we should learn how to working together as a team because all different people have a different world and different creative. And we're helping each other to make the world more healthy. Just simply uh, uh, the one the I'm talking about, the virus. We should sharing information. We should work together at the whole world and see how to fighting the virus. Instead of, oh, I do myself and you do. And I, I'm sorry for our leader uh, right now. It's very, very un, like mature, I can say. It's not immature. Yeah. It's yeah. really bad. Very, very bad. And even, you know, the soldier we talk about, okay? Soldier is a protected country. It's not fighting for the, the citizen. You know why? Why you call the soldier out to come to protect the the the, the you know inside in our yeah. country? The, the soldier should be fighting protect the country who coming uh, the you know uh, the enemy. The soldier is for enemy. 
there's no way to spit out from our president. And he, he say he asked for soldier. He's, he's not mature. He's like a kid. I'm sorry. I feel yeah. bad to say that. I'm not yeah, sure. I respect my, my president. I respect everyone. But yeah. sometimes he, when he says that word, for me, sounds like, oh, my God, it's our country. We, we have yeah. to work together, have to protect the, 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 the president. Should be protect everyone. Protect our citizens. It's not using the, uh, the, the military. It's not using a soldier to come out to, to against the, the protest. We should encourage and then sorry for the protest. That's telling to them. We have to be peaceful. We have to uh, do something wrong. We have to fix that. We have to fix that instead of just say power. What what that mean? Oh, so so wrong. I mean, it's the thinking wrong. Yeah, he's thinking. He's, he's thinking so bad. How do you feel when the president of the United States, inside a press conference, took uh, aim at an American? Uh, Asian American journalist and told her, "You should go and ask China. <laughs> you should go ask China." This is very, this is very immature. As I'm saying again, it's an immature word to speak from the president because he he thinking is because they think about the virus is coming from China. So you should talk to China. Why you said that? Why you said that? Right. He, he, he should not even think about that way. He should think how to fix it, the problem. How to fix the problem, how to help the people. Yeah, and, he, he and should not say that. No. I don't think anyone will say that. I don't think any other, any, any leader will say that. Even not the president. Even the leader cannot, should not be saying that word. Yeah. yeah. Well, inexperience. I'm sorry. She was born in America. She yes. is born from a Asian descent. However, yes. she's an American citizen. Yes. More so than it doesn't alive. matter. It doesn't matter. He's where they come yeah. from or he where he born. In is American is you you are in here in the American yeah. citizen. It's your citizen, okay? Yeah. It's mm-hmm. your people. You you have yeah. to think about that way. It doesn't matter. We when the people coming to our land in United States, it's we all together. We right. all like the one family. It's a family. Yeah. It doesn't matter the skin, what skin you are. But our president don't understand that. Right. He don't know. He don't know that important. It's all your citizen. Right. Yes. I'm so upset about whatever he, he do it. I don't see anything he write. He's doing right. Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry so, about to say that. No, well. I'm not sorry. It doesn't have to be sorry because it's important. You know, what you're feeling is just yes. a, a, a portion of what yes. other Asian Americans are feeling. Yeah, uh, thank you. You give me the opportunity to share that. I, I mean, it's very important for me to say some words. Yes. Together, we are all together. Yes. And I remember hearing yes. something when the looters were out looting. And I yes. say, I denounce that because it's, it's wrong. It's against the law. Yes. And, and some of these people that are looting, they don't have anything to do with the, with the protest. They're yes. just there to loot. They yes. don't care. When I was in Texas, if there was a hurricane, people went to loot. There's no injustice in a hurricane. But they found an opportunity to steal. But that's not going to change why we were protesting in the first place. So when I heard heard a person say, well, if you guys are going to loot, why are you in Beverly Hills? You should be uh, in the Asian community. 
I was so offended. I said, first of all, yes, you shouldn't be giving any advice for people to break the law, or they could arrest yes. you for inciting, right? Yes, uh, that's, of course, that's, yes. That's, that's inciting. But yes. to direct them to the Asian community, the Asian community didn't beat and kill a man, okay? The Asian yes. community didn't. So why would they loot at an Asian community? Huh. Oh, because of COVID-19? That was made in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, in a laboratory. Uh, maybe we should wonder why you have a patent on it. And how do you get a patent on something if you didn't make it? So I just think this country, we have a lot of growing up to do. And we have a lot uh, of, of, you know, just practical uh, sense. I believe yeah. that if, if China would not have allowed this uh, epidemic the pandemic to start in their country if they created it. Oh, and while everybody is looking at China, they better start looking at Russia and at the White House. And yes. the fact that, you know, with this pandemic, uh, maybe they were hoping not to have an election, but um, we're going to have an election anyway. And yes. I, I don't see China as my enemy. No, no, I think no one is enemy. No one in the world should. You know how to polite and how to respect the people. I guarantee people will respect you. It's very important. Enemy is to create a world, someone greater. If they really, I know I have a bad people too. Of course, we can talk, always respect each other, how to solve the problem. That creates more problems right now. It creates the world is upside down. Right. You you can tell that. The the new fact that. Six years ago, uh, America borrowed billions from China. Yes. Uh, they didn't borrow money from Russia. They didn't no. borrow money from Trump. They borrowed money from China. But China <laughs> wants to help. I think, I think China really wants to work together. And uh, China is a long history, you can tell. Even yeah. the 2000, uh, 2000 years history right That's now, right. we still That's can it. use it. Yes. That's right. Yeah. And, and I say that again because a lot of people don't get that. This country only been around for 400 yes. years. Yes. China has yes. Um, yes. Um, I think we can learn a lot from China. Thank you. You know, one time I talked to the army, uh, the soldier, I mean, the, the army general one time at a meeting, and he also he mentioned how we, you know, 400 years, the country change to thousand years the country mind. You you cannot change people. We not change each other. We not change the mind. We not tell you what to do. But we have to respect each other and make the world more peaceful. That's more important what the world come out to peaceful. But I think today we understand what that why we, we do that. I don't know why this is our president try to create more trouble, try to create more enemy and the world. It's not right. We should we should work with together. Yeah, everybody have to be make it peaceful, just like you know you and me, we're good friends. We, we have to respect each other. We try to help each other. That's a way okay. to do. Yes. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. You let me to say something, you know, from my heart. Yeah, you have been doing a lot of work, Pastor. You have been trying to bring the community together. Yes, sir. Yeah, I, I would do that. I continue to helping. I don't care who, where you come from. I don't care who are you. I, we only like to be using my heart to work with together, work together. That's important, right. I think. Yeah, it's not meaning you, 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 you from the poor country, you from the rich country. It doesn't matter. 
it is in meaning is important is we have to be understand and respect each other. Right. That's why I, I do. Yes. Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. I love my country. United States is a great country, but we need a good leader. We need the uh, we need a good leader. We need the right leader. I have to we say do. that. Okay. We have to bring this back together. Yes, sir. Yes. Well, thank All you. right. You're welcome on this show anytime. Thank, thank you very you. much. I appreciate you, you calling me for that. Anytime, Chester. Okay, God sure. Me. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Good luck. Good luck for everyone. Bye bye. Make sure everybody put the mask on. Mask important. Yeah. I want to share. That's the last word I say. Mask is a public service announcement from Chester Chung. Tell us the service announcement. Must put on a mask, right? And I, I need to, I need the people understand to put the right mask, not to just a fabric, cover your mouth. And a lot of people I find out they don't even cover the nose. We have to, <laughs> we have to cover the nose and mouth and, and cover together and using the right mask, not to just a fabric one. Well, here's the thing. Yeah. You got the, you got people selling the mask for $5. No, that's not, I cannot use it. I know, I know. And then you got, you can't go nowhere without a mask. So they just put the mask on. But here's the when you put the mask on, you it fogs up your glasses. I know we do. I have a glass. It fogs up my glass too. But yes, your life is important. It's not only you know fog your glass. It's not no problem. But we need but to protect your life first. You don't want to be sick. It's not only sick, huh? If I can't see, yes, then problem. I can't see. <laughs> I know. But, but, but when you're facing the people, you, even you cannot see better than sick, you know? Better than you sick. Yes, please. This is, I, I really want to telling people, I want to share, I want to talk to everyone, put the right mask on. You have to put the right mask on. And the glass is important too, for you protect your eye, because the virus can go in from your eye, from your nose, and from your, uh, from your mouth. That's why you need to cover the three very important locate position. Yes. Okay. I hope to find the, the vaccine soon. Okay. Okay. Thank you, sir. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You gave me an opportunity to talk. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everyone. That's Chester, people. Chester Chong. He is the president of the Asian Chamber of Commerce uh, in the great Southern California. So uh, we thought it was important to bring our Asian community on. Let me tell you this, people. We are we are a united front. We are a united front. We have everybody's interest in at heart care, white, black, green, gray. We want everybody um, to to come in um, and 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 realize that we're one nation. And we are under God. So that little pledge of allegiance that we used to say as kids, I pledge allegiance to this flag of the United States of America, to which it stands with liberty and freedom for all. See, you can't say that over and over again and then don't believe it and don't 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 do something to manifest it. We gotta. We have to do better, people. I don't know whose enemies America have, but some of America's enemies are not my men, not my enemy. 
And I don't want my name used to make him an enemy either. This is going to bring the best out of us. Thank all of my non-black people nationwide that stood with the black community, with Black Lives Matter, and telling the world that we are all one. One race, the human race. So that was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful feeling to be able to uh, just see us all come together. And and really, you know, even though I'm at my command center, uh, doing my best to get the information processed and out, I, I recognize that there are people that still don't get it. We still don't get it. And you need to be able to understand that uh, if we continue this way, it would destroy this country in short order. And I was going to give a shout out to those leaders that uh, were over law enforcement in the city of Los Angeles for uh, coming to the table and talking about these things. Got my reggae buddy here. How you doing? Doing a radio That's talk lovely. show right now. Tell us a little bit about what's your name and what, what band do you play with? How's it going? This is uh, Joby Hurst from Rude Creation Band, San Diego, California. And what kind of band is it? It's a, we play uh, reggae music and uh, multicultural music and um, spreading the message of love and peace and unity out here, you know? So big up to everyone out there. All right. What's the website you can go to the listening business? Uh, Rude Creation at uh, YouTube, or you can go to uh, Root Creation Bands at um, Instagram, Root Creation Band at Facebook.com. We're all uh, social media um, wise. All right, you guys check that out, and that music is going to make you make you realize that we're one race, the human race. Get with the program because these millennials are going to pass you up. Yeah, that's the white guy that plays in a reggae band, or they play reggae music and all kinds of music. And let me tell you something. If you didn't see them, you wouldn't know that they weren't reggae, African, Jamaican, or from some island. And it just, it, the female vocalist is Asian. <laughs> the, this generation got it together. I suggest that some of us old people, that don't want to change our ways, go on and let that COVID-19 take you on to heaven or hell or wherever it may take you. But, you know, stop being in the way. Stop being in the way. It's a new day today. And um, I think this is a struggle. It's a fight for somebody's existence. And uh, I don't know whose, but it ain't ours. So get with the program. Program. Be a positive, positive light, a beacon of light in a world of darkness. You know, you'll be much more happier. For my people that are wondering, yes, I'm I'm right now enjoying a Romeo and Juliet vintage cigar. And I want to thank my brother from another mother for giving me this cigar. He's a great guy. Foster, thank you, buddy. 
Well, we're coming to the top of the hour, and we have done our job. I hope I've made a few of you upset. Here's my buddy. Here's my buddy right here. Hey, Jim, how you doing? Jim is another brother of mine that I met. I say a brother from another mother. And Jim was so upset the other day because Jim, like all Americans realize that there's just one race, the human race. And he he, he was very upset. He don't want to get into it. I know Jim. I know Jim. I just want to let you know that I appreciate you, Jim. I'm doing my radio show right now. I'm doing a radio show right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh, we have to make things happen. We have to do things better. We have to realize that we're just one nation under God, one race, and we need to make things happen. Jim said, you're doing radio right now? Oh. You know, it's not like it used to be where we had to be stuck in a studio. We can do the radio show from the back of the boat from, from Starbucks. How you doing? You got to take your arms out of there. <laughs> you got to be able to swim. So one more day. It's Saturday, and I hope that uh, you have made a difference in the world today. You know, I, I had started this a long time ago uh, when we first started the Ombudsman Press Show uh, when we were on television. And then we continued it when we were on the radio there in uh, Palestine, Texas. And uh, so what we decided to do is that we were dealing with the um, the bird dragging, dragging a Mr. Bird down in Jasper, Texas. And we started just reaching out and we started telling people there's more of us than it is of them. If we ever stop paying attention to all of the negativity and started giving the same amount of light to the positivity, then we would be a greater nation. We would be a greater people. So let's start shedding light on the good people that's doing great things. Let's start supporting those people that have the spirit of unity. And we'll go a lot further. So that's my message for today. God bless you all. Thanks for tuning in to the Ombudsman Press Show. I will see you on Monday with the marvelous Monday show with my co-host, Dr. Shirley McKellar. And until then, Rihanna, thank you very, very much. This has been an inspiring two hours, and you can take us home. God bless you all. Don't forget, we have the initiative, uh, which is going to be corrupt cops, officers, police officers, sheriffs, state troopers, liability insurance. We're asking all law enforcement officers to have liability insurance so that they can pay for their abuses, not the taxpayer. God bless you. Tomorrow, take us home. The homeless is still homeless, the poor is still poor, yet we find billions of dollars to fund senseless war. And yes, we're fighting terrorism, what about the quiet races, dividing among ourselves.
Somebody's crying for help. Heaven is listening. Heaven is watching. Heaven knows. And they may not play this on the radio. All the devil don't want you to do. Love Talk Radio. Yours truly, the Gap Two Guru of Gumbo, aka Brandon Johnson, and aka a whole lot of other things that somebody's going to get into tonight. I have a smile on my face. I hope that you can see that through the phone. And I'm smiling because number one, I'm alive. Number two, you're alive. And number three, there must be a reason and purpose that we're here. Otherwise, we would be in an existence where we couldn't smile. So even though there may be things going on in our lives, individually as well as collectively, that would predicate a mean mug or anger or unabated, unguided emotion, I am smiling because I know what's about to go down tonight. Now, our topic, for those of you listening, what's going on, kid folk? I see you out there. For those of you listening, it's kind of a misnomer when it says basic training for black males because some of these things are going to be for females. And then also, it's not going to be so basic, if you know me. I don't really do basic because if we're going to move higher, we need to be thinking on a higher plateau. But the discussion tonight, and as we get into it, I have a lot of life experiences that most people don't get to experience, even some black men. I've been places that most people won't go, and I talk to most people. I talk to people that most people won't talk to. But tonight, it's not just me. Uh, Joining me in the conversation as we um, get into the meat of the matter of what's the hot going on in America has been for my life, but as of late, what happened to the great Big Floyd, um, one of one of you know uh, one of the people I associated with in my rap days in Houston, Texas, and his untimely death came at a point where the boiling has stopped and the steam has now escaped the pot, and we're at well, I shouldn't say stopped, but. The boiling point has surpassed, and we're over 212 degrees at this point. And now the steam is rising, and I think there may be some attention. But um, with all that being said, with my ratchet self, we have a counterbalance, uh, if you will, not a counterpart, a counterbalance in our own viewpoint, which uh, he and I agree on so many things. 
And I just, I, I love this brother because he has been at the forefront of the fight when it comes to lawyers and getting policies and other initiatives going, especially when it comes to defense of and in the support of people who have been marginalized, wrote off, underestimated in the entire country. And that is none other than a previous guest, Carlton Myers III. Welcome, Carlton. Hi, thank you, Brandon. Uh, it's Carlton Myers, Myers II. I'm not saying that there won't be a third one day, but I'm not here. Oh, there's a second, isn't it? I put third on everything. I, 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 I'm <laughs> calling it into existence. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> the second, yeah. Well, t- brother, tell us where, tell everybody where you're positioned at this point, who you're working with, and a little bit about what your own personal company is. So people that haven't heard of you before get to know you, and then those who do know you can see that you have transitioned from a few of the things from when we first met to where you are now. Yeah, no, definitely. Thank you very much for having me on your show, especially during uh, a time like like this. I mean, we're in a pivotal point, uh, point in uh, U.S. history where – we are having uh, protests and uprisings happening all around the country uh, surrounding uh, the death of another black or another black person, regardless of male or female, just another person of color, another black person in this country by law enforcement. Uh, and so uh, I think that if now more than ever, the attention is really shown on the importance of respecting people's human rights through systemic changes not only by uh, holding individual officers, officers accountable, but by also holding the system itself accountable that those officers are working within. And so um, thank you very much for having me here. In regards to uh, the work I do, as you know, uh, as an attorney, uh, I've had a lot of experience working on these issues on policing reform. Uh, you know, I, was, I ran NAACP National's uh, Criminal Justice Reform Program for the country at one point uh, and uh, had co-authored their uh, Born Suspect report focused on ending racial profiling by law enforcement across the country. Um, and right. I mean, after that, I did work in Ferguson, Missouri and in uh, Baltimore, Maryland, New York City and North Charleston, South Carolina, working on policing reform when I was at NAACP Legal Defense Fund uh, as the policy counsel on the, uh, for the policing reform campaign. So I've been doing a lot of work in this area since then what I did is started my own company, consulting company, where I work with communities across the country on helping them to establish their own policing reform measures uh, that they own uh, out independent of law enforcement, independent of the government. So what does that mean? Essentially, what that means is that community members are able to identify the solutions that they believe exist in their community as it relates to community police relations and then strategize what that is going to look like in their community and then just do it like Nike, just implement it. And so I work with them on doing that. If it could be, it could be focused on transparency. In other words, uh, making sure to develop a system where there is collection uh, analysis and publication of officer uh, community uh, encounters, police officer community encounters. It could also be uh, through establishing accountability mechanisms which I'd love to talk about with you today here. I know that that's been the hot topic 
as it relates to policing reform is not necessarily transparency from law enforcement, but looks like it seems like it's uh, accountability. What are we going to do once these officers and police departments are found uh, to be essentially guilty of uh, committing misconduct on the job? And so that's what I do. I work with communities on doing that. So that way we can have sustainable uh, uh, policing reform, not something that's only going to occur for like five years, which which is what we've seen with a lot of policing in the recent years is that they're implemented. They work for maybe five years, maybe 10 at most. And then um, law enforcement regresses back to their old uh, bad behavior. And so how can we develop a system where communities involved, number one, I think that's the major problem is that community is not involved in the decision-making process with law enforcement. So where community is involved and uh, not only in regards to hiring law enforcement, but also when it comes to their day-to-day jobs, such as like disciplinary measures for law enforcement that engage in misconduct and also uh, making sure that there's transparency. So that's what I focus on doing through my company in various ways. Uh, And I'm, Thank you very much for having me on here to kind of talk about how the work I do at my company applies to what's going on now with current events. Yeah, and I'm so glad that you um, could come on to join us and um, that any time I've ever reached out to you, this one you happen to reach back out to me, but any time I've ever reached out to you, you've always made yourself available. And I'm so glad that I've gotten to know you over these years um, when we both Worked a lot of work with NAACP, but let's let's get into it for everyone that tuned in. Thank you for being there. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you for spending these few moments with us. I hope that you not only are listening, but you'll choose to share while you're watching. And if you could start a watch party, because as many people as possible that could pick this up. Um, I think we're going to be better off because you never know which community that people that you know, maybe even your own community, really needs these tidbits of information. We're at a particular point right now, it seems, this is what my younger uh, associates are saying, is that this particular moment seems different. It's more intense than Ferguson. It's more intense than Baltimore. It seems more intense than anything that's happened in Chicago, um, more intense than Milwaukee. And um, even some say it's more intense than Sanford. And we could go on with Baton Rouge and Houston and LA. I mean, just about everywhere in the country, you know, there's been a situation. But since this one is more intense, that means there's more people. That means that there's more emotion. That means there's more activity. Now we must govern ourselves in directing our energies to the right place so that this doesn't happen every one or two years, in some cases every four to six months uh, of stories we don't hear about. But it, it, it gets to the point where it's once a year, once every three years, once every five years, maybe once every 10 years. I don't think it's going to stop because the system is a big system and we don't have enough people in positions like Brother Keith Ellison out in Ellis in Minnesota who's able to, as an attorney general, 
and I talked to Carlton about this yesterday, probably to me the best AG that we have in the thought of being fair with people of all walks of life in their state, in the position to assist us. And when I say us, that means people, I believe, on the side of right because we're anti-racist, we're anti um, all of the things that you can think of that bring about an induction and um, spreading of hate. That's what we're against. In fact, for some of us, when we get up and put our feet on the floor, the devil is mad that we just got up that morning. So we have to be catalysts for the change. And that that brings me to um, something I want to talk about, Carlton. We've got all these people out in the streets protesting. I love protesting, right? I really love it, and I especially love it Mm -hmm. as a goal. But now we're at a point, we've got all four officers charged. We've got an increased charge, probably the highest charge you're going to get in second-degree murder against the main culprit. Now we have this. In the Almond Arbery case, we had a ruling today by a judge that said there are sufficient tr- sufficient charges to move forward. I don't know what that had to do with it. It must have been an appeal or something against the indictment. But nevertheless, there have been an additional um, assistance from a judge to say that there were enough charges to move forward with a trial in that case. It looks like we're going to get traction with Breonna Taylor's case. I believe that was in, is that Louisville? Uh, um, Louisville in Kentucky and and so on and so forth so there, there, there's, there seems to be traction um, with at least charges but now Carlton we've got all this energy right all these people and we've got charges filed what do you say is the next step as an organizer and as a policy person that the focus should be on for this, for this seemingly next phase. I do want to go back to something you said earlier around about uh, how this is the first time that we've ever had something like this happen. uh, That it's even more uh, much larger than what happened in Ferguson, Missouri, and even in Baltimore with those uprisings. Uh, mm-hmm. And I agree with you. I think the I think what makes this so notable and uh, what what why this stands out so much is because of thinking about what happened before the uh, the uh, these incidents occurred recently around um, George Floyd. And if you think about it, we were going and we still are going through the pandemic, which had uh, a disproportionate adverse disproportionate impact on the African-American and Latino populations in this country, especially in uh, big cities like Chicago and New York, you know? Uh, And so when we were already going through that issue in regards to health concerns, which also ties Mm -hmm. into uh, inequities around access to healthcare for those same communities. Mm -hmm. uh, And then also considering the fact that because of the pandemic, we're also going through an unemployment crisis. Uh, and the economy is also going under, which means that a lot of people are out of work, like millions of people across the country are on unemployment. 
and uh, people who are working essential jobs who also tend to be predominantly African-American, Latino, are also now more exposed to getting uh, the COVID-19 virus and bringing it back home to their family members. And so there's, there's just a lot of, I'd say, uh, additional stress on people of color, especially Black and Latino uh, individuals right now, more so than ever because of all those different factors. And when you add in the incident with uh, George Floyd, then, you know, it, that that just adds a whole other layer to it, which I think ended up being the straw that broke the camel's back uh, for mm-hmm. the country and for those communities. And, and, and not only for the black and brown communities, but also for white communities, white people who uh, either were woke already and already knew about this stuff and this, this just kind of brought it to the surface for them or for others who were not woke, but this woke them up to what's going on. So, uh, and so I think all of that is what's led to now the 10th day of protests, right? Uh, right? And so when you consider that, when we're looking at solutions going forward, you know, beyond uh, the current case, you know, then we're looking more at policy changes, like policy reforms, which are more sustainable and longstanding. Uh, and so when we look at that, when, when we consider policy changes, I think right now something that a lot of protesters are saying is to defund law enforcement, uh, which saying that defunding law enforcement completely is the best thing to do. I think that that's something that uh, would have to be decided upon by community members. Every community is different. Every community has its own unique history and culture. And so uh, Mm -hmm. each one of them is going to have a different perspective on how policing should look within their community. Um, And so... Some of them might believe they don't need police and that they could do it on their own. Other ones might feel that they definitely need police and they might think they need more police than what they currently have, right? So it's just, you, there's right. no one size uh, fits all in, when it comes to policing of communities. Um, but what's something that we do know based on evidence-based research is that when you invest in certain community resources and services, such as youth services, Reentry services, uh, pre-trial services, you know, right. uh, drug drug addiction services, treatment services uh, for people with substance abuse, you know, mental health services, so on and so forth. When you invest more in that, you have less incidents for law enforcement to get involved in that involve those issues. Which means that the only the only incidents that law enforcement would really have to get involved in would be the ones that would be the most severe, like murder, for instance, uh, as opposed to getting involved in a drug offense case, a low-level especially wow. drug offense case, or a case of somebody who's in crisis and really needs a crisis intervention person to come and, and help them out, not a law enforcement officer who's going to be focused on controlling them and incarcerating them. So, um, you know, uh, if we look at divesting, all that money that's put into law enforcement now and divesting a portion of it and then instead re, instead of and, and then reinvesting that money into these other services including education right more than likely law enforcement is not going to have to get involved in those situations which is going to lead to less occurrences of negative encounters between law enforcement and children or people of color uh, people who suffer from mental illness, people who have disabilities, so on and so forth. And then we'll get less of these incidents of officer-involved deaths. So I do think that when we look at the divest-invest models, 
of divesting from law enforcement and corrections and investing more into community resources. I think that's really the direction we need to go in. I don't think it's defunding law enforcement completely, but I do think it has to do with divesting a good chunk of the money that they're already getting to go to the community to help them out in policing the community as opposed to just putting all that burden on law enforcement. I mean, they're not psychologists. They're not uh, skilled at engaging with people who have a drug addiction, right? They're skilled at locking people up, arresting them, and if somebody gets violent, using different tactics to get them in control. So uh, let me, I think let me add this right here, uh, Carlton. Let me let me add this too to that. Um, when you said the pre-trial stuff, we 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 also need to look at. Um, I think bail reform is also something to look at, especially the disproportionate number numbers on the amount of bail of between blacks and whites. But the the other thing is, is I worked as a trainer for law enforcement when it came to mental health, and we had what we called mental health peace, peace officers in Texas. And there's several communities across the country that have trained um, mental health people who provided um, many hours, 20, in fact, of the 40 that they require here in Texas, in our area. And, you know, one of the things about um, the opportunity to shift funds from constantly buying guns and hiring more and more officers to actually community-based, and if they come through law enforcement, great, but if they come through another part of a city or municipality, that's that's awesome too. But I think people need to know, and this is the caveat here. When I was hearing you talk about this in the option, this option, is that you always hear certain groups of people say we want smaller government, but yet when it comes to things clearly problematic, they want those things to be bigger, and that makes absolutely no sense. If you want smaller government, you want less government oversight, then why are you against making certain parts of the government smaller, such as the enforcement part of the laws? I don't know if it's going to ever work with the legislature. Um, we're, not, we're going to always probably have nine judges in the judicial system. It's always going to be that. But the enforcement part is where that subjective and objective point meets and where we seem to have the most problems. So if we worked on that, everybody gets what they want, smaller government, and then more focus on the people, not the enforcement of certain groups of people. I think that that option is definitely a viable one. But that that bail thing. There's so many things, y'all, when it comes in to these situations that um, cause stress not only on the individuals who are being demonized, but also the individuals behind the badge. And there's a pressure to meet all these points. And sometimes people behind the badge 
um, um, uh, embellish, let's say, police reports, and they put they're put in a position where, because of the way the system is structured, it makes it more difficult on us because of the stress. You got all this stuff, all these trainings you got to go to, all these things that these guys have to do, and yet there's nothing that helps us figure out if these guys are even people persons that could translate all this training into relationships in the community where you'd have so much less like earlier on that. And that was one of the things that one of the options you talked about, we, you and I personally, when um, that brother from Houston and he was in Seattle wrote the book on community policing. We, we discussed one time that, that, that real true community policing is, is an option as well, don't you think? Right. So I was, I was going to tag along to what, like, to what you're saying because, um, so at, at the same time as this, you know, and reinvesting into community services and resources uh, occurs, that would hopefully lead to a reduction, not only in uh, uh, what law enforcement would be called upon to do, like, like you know, like what their responsibilities would be. But it would also be a reduction in the amount well, that would be law enforcement. Uh, we wouldn't need right. so many police. Uh, have would be effective. They'd be well trained. They would have uh, a on the books that sub their training, and they would have practices in place that would uh, foster and cultivate a culture of um, of acceptance, inclusion, and um, of de-escalation, one where they do everything in their power <clears throat> to prevent conflict, to resolve it, if it does occur, to control it so that everybody is safe, you know, so they're thereby respecting every every individual's human rights. And the best way to right. do that, in my opinion, is to create, like, you know how right now, you know, we have this pandemic going on with this virus, COVID-19, right? One thing about the right. virus, when you hear, like, doctors on TV, like Dr. Fauci talk about it, they talk about how... Um, the virus feeds on us as if we're food. And so like when people are asymptomatic, they don't show symptoms of it and they're out and about and they're like literally shedding the virus, they're spreading it onto others just by breathing. Um, The virus that's on their body, that's in their body is like trying to find another uh, body to go to so they could feed more and eat more. Now, the reason why it's able to do that, and we, we know this because we had to shelter in place, to, you know, to counter this is because before the shelter in place, the virus had an environment that was very hospitable for it for allowing it to feed and thrive and spread. And so in order for us to counter that, we had to create an environment that was not hospitable for that virus. We had to create one that would not allow it to thrive and spread and ultimately would hopefully allow it to die. Right. Um, Right. The same way, the same approach, the same way of thinking has to be applied to law enforcement in respect to unfit officers. And when I say that, I mean individuals found their way into the police force in whatever way, shape, or form and are using the badge to tarnish it, literally. They are doing like what the officer did in the George Floyd case, like what the officer did in the Eric Gardner case and the Michael Brown case. These are all officers who are not fit to wear the badge, all right? 
And that could have been weeded out a long time ago. We know that each one of those officers, for each one of those cases, this was not their first rodeo when they killed those black men, all right? This officer who killed George Floyd, he had 18 civilian complaints on his record before he killed this gentleman. Eric Gardner, Panateleo, Officer Panateleo, he had been moved around or reassigned from one precinct to another within New York City before he ended up in the precinct in Long Island where he killed Eric Gardner. Uh, the, the, off, the former officer who killed Mike Gardner, I mean, uh, Mike Brown in uh, Ferguson, Missouri, uh, he had actually worked at another police department before he was in the Ferguson Police Department and had had a similar incident where he used excessive force on an African-American. And then he had left that force because of that incident the, uh, joined the Ferguson Police Department. So these are all officers who had a record of being unfit. However, because the system, the police, the current system of policing is, is toxic, it's, it's discriminatory, and it, you know, uh, uh, and it needs to be reformed. Because it was not reformed, it allowed, it created an environment that allowed those officers to thrive, like the COVID-19 virus, feed off of that environment with black people who were impoverished, people of Latino in the community who were impoverished, struggling, you know, harassing them, targeting them, using their money to pay for the local government through uh, arrests and citations. They were doing that. And so that's what allowed them to thrive and then ultimately kill those gentlemen. And so what I'm saying is in order for us to change that dynamic, to change that outcome where black people and, P and Latino people are not dying at the hands of law enforcement, we need to create an environment that is not hospitable for officers like that. We need to create an environment through policy reform, through changes in practices and changes in training, and also by having the community be involved in every aspect of that, sure that right. that environment is not hospitable for them. In other words, it is going to be an environment that will be hard for them to do well, an environment that will be hard for them to dwell in the shadows or behind the blue wall. It's going to be that. So that that's what policy and practices and grassroots advocacy, in my opinion, should be focused on from this moment. And this moment can be that for us. We can get that. But we have to really be focused on that initiative. And, and you know, the, the, the thing that has always gotten me is people don't realize how close to home what you're talking about hits. Uh, right here in Longview, there was an officer who got fired for his actions, turned right around, and got hired at a, a, piece, a police department right next door to us, and then became the chief of that police department. And the law enforcement officers and leadership were laughing at that city but also saddened because they knew how bad of a cop this guy was. Yet their hands were tied because based on T-Close, which is the Texas Commission on Law Enforcement and HR and police unions, they could not share the personnel file of that officer. So when you have reform in your police departments, and every one of us as black one, I can't say every one of us now, but most of us as black men have had an experience 
a negative experience with law enforcement. And if you've lived in the same community for any amount of time, you usually could share that experience with the same officer with 20 or 30 other brothers. The problem becomes some people won't speak up and say anything because they know the system basically throws that in the file. And now uh, IA has mentioned your name to this officer and he's going to ramp up his harassment of you. That's one thing. But the other thing is, is that that officer really has no, no one to answer to. So if we could get to the point where we're on a state and national level, where we could keep these guys from going to another state, not just leaving one city and literally going seven miles to the east and getting hired and not only hired, becoming a police chief, and they could never be rehired again in this city. We have to have a way to decertify and decommission these officers so that they can't, like in Ferguson, leave one department already with uh, citations on your record to go to another one and then perpetuate that same behavior right right there in that. The same thing with the brother that the, the, the brother that got killed in Oklahoma. You remember that one? I can't remember his name, Carlton. Yeah, remember he was there on the road with a female officer or whatever. They shot him. But that officer had just been relieved of duty two counties over and for similar behavior and then shot that man um, right there on the highway. Um, we, we, you guys, the, the, the types of things that make the difference come after the fire and the smoke um, settles because there's constantly microaggressions in our community. And if we don't get a rap on them, they end up building up to these types of incidents with George Floyd. And so if we can curve that behavior, that's where we're winning. And you've got to beat them on paper because it's got to be clear. If you do X, Y, Z, then ABC is shut down for you. And you have to find another career. There's other jobs. Listen, they don't have to be police, okay? If, if we're getting fired for, for our hair on a job, if we're getting fired because of our swagger on a job, we can find another job. These, these people can find another job. They don't have to be police. Police isn't a job for everybody anyway in the first place. So you need to be in a place where you're better suitable to society and just running all willy-nilly and thinking you can exact um, um, retribution for how um, Tyrone did you in high school all the rest of your life on all the other Tyrones and Jeromes because you got treated bad one time or you felt like you were treated bad one time. Um, is is just ridiculous. So yeah, man, that 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 definitely is something. Now let's um let's let's shift a little bit. Um, people often ask, what is it that person can do 
that you leave an interaction with law enforcement alive. And I used to do trainings called Interaction with 5-0, and I, I had all these great answers. I used to have police and defense attorneys and former DAs come in and speak to the young black youth. And I've come to find out that even if you comply, some of these individuals, and I'm so sick of people hollering, sir, on these videos to people who are killing us or hurting or maiming us. It's it's making me nauseous almost. Um, But we have to learn verbal judo and teach our kids through watching videos, through interactions that you're in the public with, um, to, to learn people's behaviors. Um, I instantly know when I'm in an interaction with a law enforcement officer who is very, very uncomfortable with interacting with me. I mean, I am six foot four, 400 pounds. And it makes it hard on a lot of people, but I can tell um, through discernment um, some of the behaviors of officers who have the tendency to be a little itchy with the fingers and or the wantonness to exact harm any way possible, even if it's economic or employment-wise, because they will stick cases on you where it makes it hard for you to get an education. Carlton, we're going to talk about that at the end, some of the things that you're doing there in Chicago and some of the things you're doing across that state when it comes to employment with uh, people who've been convicted um, before we leave tonight. But these, all these things can be done by these officers right there on an, in an interaction that we have with them on the street. They can let us go, leave us alone. They can write a ticket. They can press charges or at least at least arrest and claim charges on us, and then they can also incarcerate us. And then, unfortunately, in incidents, they can also um, assassinate or um, what's the term when the when the state kills you? Um, uh, what is it? What is it called? Execute you right there on site. So all that can happen. But here's the thing. And I I thought there was a formula. And then what I'm seeing, there there is no exact formula, but there are a few things. Always, everybody needs to have at least one. And if you can afford it, if you make more than, I'm going to say if you make more than $40,000 a year, you ought to have one of those mounted cameras in your vehicles, if you can have the one that's on the front and out the back that can show your driving and then any anything going on behind your vehicle, as well as being able to turn it to show what's going on out of your driver's side window, um, that would be primo because you have to catch this stuff on camera. One of the things with the incident in Kentucky is that the officers turned off their cameras. Isn't that right, Carlton? They turned off their body cameras, and the police chief got fired. 
They haven't done nothing right. with this officer that didn't shooting yet, but the police chief has gotten fired because they had a practice of doing this. So if they're not going to even use this equipment that came into play because of another black person getting killed, if they're going to turn it off, then you need to always have something on. And I say that about these modern cameras because I see them snatching phones. I see them grabbing phones. They, they delete uh, camera video off of people's phones. Um, if you can run a live or Instagram where it's streaming live, and then, you know, if they try to get to it, it's already saved on a cloud somewhere, all that's great. I think one of the most pivotal things with what we're seeing and being able to have justice nowadays is the implementation of technology. If we had these phones that, that record at all times, when everybody's got one in their hand, um, back in the 80s and the 90s when I was doing my thing, um, we would already have been at this point. Can you imagine these cameras in the 50s and 60s? People wouldn't care if you had the video because they'd overlook it. But we're in a day and age now where it seems like people care at least on a grand scale. And with all these people caring, we have the momentum to move forward. So I don't know what other caveat you would say, Carlton, as we pivot to, to the training part with being prepared, but that's, I think, one of the number one things is the ability to record any interaction with law enforcement. Yeah, record and, you know, definitely when you're engaging with them, be deferential, never consent to a, uh, a search of your vehicle. <clears throat> always keep your hands where they can see them. In other words, if you're in the car, turn on the light over by the rear view mirror, put your hands on the steering wheel so that way they can always see where they are and they can't use that as an excuse for trying to use uh, lethal force. So, you know, I mean, it's kind of like the regular know your rights uh, in regards to how to engage with law enforcement. Well, I think something that is uh, something to note uh, looking forward are really the policy reforms, because I know a lot of people tend to focus on the know your rights, which is important. They also tend to focus on um, trying to get accountability of individual cases, which is also important. But at the end of the day, none of this is going to end. The way that law enforcement engages with us, the way that we have to engage with them, um, you know, uh, trying to, you know, prevent death and brutality from law enforcement, none of that's going to end until we have adequate solid, non-discriminatory policy reforms, and they have to be enforced, and they have to have community involvement, not only in the development of the policies, but also in the implementation of the policies. And so I think right. that's going to have to be key. Like you mentioned earlier, you know, decertification, that's important. I want to say a bit more about that, because I don't think a lot of people in the community understand what that is. So essentially, every law enforcement officer uh, has to be licensed in order to be a police officer in America. And uh, most mm -hmm. states will have what they call a post commission or a peace officer standards and training commission, POST. Mm -hmm. uh, and they, that, that group, that board, that commission uh, consists of individuals who are responsible, uh, number one, determining what training the officers of that state need to undergo in order to be an official police officer within that state, mm -hmm. 
how often they have to get training in it, uh, in addition to whatever standards that they have to adhere to in order to keep their certification. Uh, and so, in other words, in order for them to continue to be a police officer. And so every right. state has, most states have their own commissions. And those, and I'd say right now, based on the research that I've seen, um, there are only at least, or there are at least 44 states right now in America that have a decertification law. And so pretty much that's a state law that um, allows the post commission that I just talked about to take away the license or certification of somebody who is a, an, uh, a law enforcement officer. And the only way that can happen is if that, in that officer has engaged in misconduct. Typically, it has right. to be something severe, like an unjustifiable murder, like we're talking about, like uh, 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 George Floyd's death. Something like that uh, would be a situation where that officer or the officers who are involved in it could lose their certification uh, if there's a decertification on the books within that state that allows the post commission to do that. And so that's something that I think is not talked about a lot, but I think should be yeah. because, you know, a lot of families who like, who've been victimized, you know, they've lost a loved one due to police violence. They're trying to not only find accountability for themselves in that moment, but they also want to make sure that this doesn't happen to another mother. This doesn't happen to another brother, another sister, to another child, to lose a loved one due to police violence. And the only way you're going to prevent that from happening to somebody else is to make sure that those officers or that officer who committed this act is not able to do it to another person again. That means you need to take away their ability to have the badge. You need to decertify them. And the only way that, that community members know about that is to actually understand what decertification is, how it functions, and then to see if your state has a decertification law. Not all states in America have one. Most of them do, right. but not all of them do. And so if you do have a decertification law, then you have to learn about, well, does that, like, like what exactly would, would fall under decertification? Like, the, is it only murder? Right. Or could it also be if somebody were to brutalize an individual, not murder them, but just beat them up brutally. Could that also fall under decertification? And so, you know, you want to, you know, I, I, I'm always about trying to broaden it to the, to the extent that if an officer is um, uh, uh, committing fraud on the job, they're uh, 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 assaulting and raping women on the job, um, they're murdering people on the job unjustifiably, brutalizing yeah. people. Yeah, they should be decertified because you're tarnishing the badge. You're making now, other me, officers here. Who, who are good officers, you're making them look bad and you're making their job more difficult. So, they're, all apart. they're all in the same union and it's hard It's hard for them to say something because these, these guys don't want to lose these pensions. They don't want to lose this brotherhood that they have because there are times where, you know, officers called for backup and because they spoke up, the other officers wouldn't come. And there were some people in jeopardy. So the good cops, I, I, they have to speak up. I, I just know that. But you, you got to understand that on the other side of that blue line is tragic. We had a question, Carlton, and I knew the answer. But uh, my little brother here, Kadarius, he asked, does that certif- decertify them in all states? Yes. If they yes. lose their certification, it goes into a file where if they try to get certified, 
in another state, they that will show up, okay, that they were decertified as an officer. And so, you know, some people say commissioned or whatever, but no, yes, that makes them unable to become law enforcement at all. So there's another nuance to that that I want to say that's important that ties to what you just said. So uh, does that mean that they're not able to become a police officer in another state? It should work that way, but I'll be honest, it does not. Uh, Currently, what that means is that if a state has a decertification law, if that officer or that person who was a police officer, if they were to try to be a police officer at another police department within that same state, then no, they would not be able to do that. But if they were to travel to another state, maybe one right, right next door, they could still potentially become an officer. And, the, and this, this ties into another problem that we need to have a reform around is the fact currently there is not an active operational national decertification national. index. There yeah, used to yeah. be. There used to be. There used to be. And, and the DOJ Long was uh, working on that. But the funding was cut. And now that we have a new president, we don't have President Obama in the White House anymore. He has a, uh, President Trump has a very effective on policing. And he does not believe in accountability of law enforcement the way President Obama did. So right now, let's, an let's, officer, if they were decertified in one state, could go to another state and still get a job. Yeah. As an officer. But mind you, it still is if they I don't know how they do it, but what I've heard, especially from Texas to Louisiana and Louisiana to Texas, where I spent a lot of my work at, if an officer was decertified in Texas, they're not going to be able to work in Louisiana um, because they can pull up when the officer puts that, you know, he had um, been previously an officer. That isn't the decertification isn't hidden like personnel record, so it would come up, um, and if they did any kind of reference and ask that. But then again, you're right. There is a potential, which Kadarius is that's a yes and a no, where they don't even do any um, reference checks, which to me is unheard of. But I'm sure at some small police departments, it probably has happened. But um, any any sizable department, they would do. When most of them do reference checks, if if they found out he was decertified, decertified, which is a big deal, there's there, they wouldn't hire. But here's the next thing, and I'm glad Brother Clay brought this up. Is what I do believe if the presidency changes like it should come January because of what we do by voting in November. And as many as the people on the right that I've come across that say they are through with this dude and he does not represent Republicans like they want their Republicanism to be represented, um, then I do believe this one thing will begin to happen across the city, I mean, not sure, across the country. And we did not mention it yet, but that is that there is a strong push not only to have this certification oversight reinstituted through the um, AG, but also this, Carlton, and that is citizens review boards in in almost in every community. There has to be some type of civilian oversight that has power to subpoena 
You got to throw that in there. Um, these officers to come in, and if they lie under oath, automatic termination and, and should be automatic decertification. But you, you're not, that's going to be real tough to push that far. But if they have to call in anybody they want to, to, to investigate um, a complaint against an officer, can be minor complaints. But this citizens or civilian review board, I hate to use the word civilian, Clay, because mind you, every single police officer, unless he's also active duty military, is a civilian. Don't watch that jargon because they try to differentiate us. And trust me, unless you're active duty military, you're a civilian. And so police officers are too. And so this these community-based review boards that have subpoena power can help us to get a grip on these officers, even in one complaint, because they know that if they have a complaint, they got to go before this review board. It's made up of citizens in the same community who will have the ability to see their personnel record and they can hold them accountable. I also think with that Carlton, that I saw this from, um, the other day um, where these new officers coming into communities as police officers, one of the stipulations, especially in cities of particular sizes, is that they have to work community service hours. That's a stipulation of their hiring in all sectors, all whatever um, divisions of that city and get to know people in those communities through those through these particular places that they can get community service to meet the people that they will be policing but all those things again lead back to policy because unless these things are in writing and unless these things are 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 are, are factors that are firmly set to keep um good cops good and bad cops out we're, we're going to continue to see what we're seeing. And, and, and these things, I don't know what you think about it, Carlton, with the uh, Citizens Review Boards, but um, you've got to have some other oversight than just the police chief, the lieutenant, and the sergeant, or, yeah, the sergeant that's over the internal affairs who are working every day with these people, sometimes roommates with the people that they're supposed to investigate. Well, no, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in complete uh, agreement about the need for uh, not only to be playing review boards, but and not only making sure they have subpoena power, I would say to add on making sure that they have also uh, disciplinary decision-making power that sticks. Yeah. So, yeah. in other words, when, when, when they get those complaints and they do their investigation and find that, okay, an officer is actually uh, guilty uh, of, of, of what they've been accused of, brutality, death, whatever, and then say, well, because of that, we believe that your employment should be dismissed or terminated with this police department. When they make that decision, they send it to, if it's the Internal Affairs Bureau, if it's the police chief, or whatever internal disciplinary process exists, that decision should have heavy weight and should stick. And if it doesn't stick, then there should be something in writing that is made public stating, or that should be publicly accessible, stating specifically why 
they decided not to go through with the decision made by the Civil and Complaint Review Board. All of that needs to yeah. happen. And I would say, just to piggyback on that as well, is that every aspect of policing, in my opinion, should have community involvement. Because at the end of the day, the only way we're going to prevent this from happening is through community empowerment. And community empowerment means that the community needs to be involved. They need to have knowledge, decision-making power over what is happening. And that has to do with hiring of law enforcement, making sure that when they are hired and recruited, communities involved in that process, communities involved in the training that the people who are hiring to undergo, including implicit bias training, you know, cultural sensitivity training, trauma-informed care training, because a lot of these people are coming from traumatized communities and are traumatized themselves. And so all of that right. needs to be bundled in, including with Civilian Complaint Review Board, if we're talking about the in- internal disciplinary hearings that happen, they're usually uh, run by law enforcement officers. Law enforcement right. officers judging other law enforcement. That doesn't make any sense. Those panels, right. community members on them. So that way it's law enforcement and community making those final determinations on a, on a law enforcement officer's employment if they've engaged in misconduct. They should also, when we're talking about decertification and the post commission, the Peace Officer uh, Standards and Training Commission, I think communities should be involved with the post commission around decertification. I don't think it should just be police department to the post commission when it comes to relaying that information. I think the community should be involved in that as well. So that way when officers are being decertified, community members are able to raise that with the post commission. This officer should be decertified and this is why. And they should be able to engage with community on those decisions. And so I'm just saying that I think one of the major reasons why we're once again in this situation in America with another black person who was killed unlawfully by law enforcement because community does not equal police plus community members. Right now, community means the people in the community, and then you have the law enforcement, right? And that's not one community. Those are two different communities. They need, in order for them to function properly, they need to function as one. And that means divesting from law enforcement so much money and reinvesting that in the community and at the same time as doing that, creating that inhospitable environment for those unfit officers so that way you can weed them out and leave behind only the best of the best and the brightest who deserve to be representing the badge. And right now we don't have that. We have a system where they're letting in all these officers, they're, they're finding new ways to get more money, which is taking away money from community resources, which is what's causing the problem, making people think that they need law enforcement. So it, it's like, like, it's like we've created this cycle that's never ending. And until we start seeing ourselves as one community and how we can work together as one, we're never going to be able to get ourselves out of this cycle. And there will be more George Floyd. There will be more protests. All right. So, I mean, you know, I, I just think as long as we start thinking about getting community involved in all these different respects and areas of law enforcement, until we do that, we're never going to really see change. And that's something that I'm yeah. working on with communities across the country through my, my, uh, my company, is working with them to empower them so that way they are involved in all those processes through policy reform. These, these days and times, and, and yes, Clay, those videos and recordings are made available immediately to the review boards 
and complaints go to the review board and uh, the IA usually at the police department. They usually, if if there are any size of department, complaints go straight to IA because they know if that complaint is founded and it went through a, like a, the direct supervisor, if you will, of, of the officer that was complained and it was tweaked or changed, they would have some real problems. So typically it's uh, copies go to both entities when you have that or the IA works with the, uh, there's all kinds of setups that the review boards can look like. They can have, they can be as weak as they're only called in on specific complaints all the way up to every complaint. And they have, like uh, Crawford mentioned, not only the power to call in people to be investigated or be interviewed, but also to determine what is the outcome with, uh, or at least a heavy um, say-so in the outcome of the disciplinary action. So that leaves us, man, we went, it's now nine o'clock. Of course, I knew this show was going to run long, but um, we couldn't get everything out. And I mentioned to Carlton the other day that we're going to do these, this, this at least the next two weeks um, of having this discussion and, and pushing the, the, the community far. We've got to be pushing and pulling because this is not the time to relinquish pressure. We gotta keep applying pressure uh, from the side of policies and, and paperwork is concerned. So before we go, in case you guys um, and ladies aren't able to be on next week, um, Carlton, I want you to share with folks the work that you're doing now um, with the group there in Chicago as it relates to the kind of reform you're trying to get going on with uh, people who've been convicted of crimes and who have paid their debt to society. Well, thank you. Uh, uh, before I get to that, I just want to say real quick, uh, well, number one, thank you for having me on. Number two, I was going to say that um, in regards to my company, the name of the company is Mayor's Strategic Solutions. If you are interested in speaking with me, uh, or, you know, you think that uh, the work I'm doing to empower community members through community involvement, policy reform, grassroots advocacy, legislative advocacy, so on and so forth. If that's something that you're interested in, uh, you can always contact me at C, like cat, T, like Tom, M, like Mary, A-Y-E-R-S, the number two, at gmail.com. So it's C-T, Mayors, two at gmail.com. I'm sure Brandon, you can also reach out to him to get my information. I also have a Facebook page up for Mayor Strategic Solutions, LLC. Uh, you could also just, uh, you know, search it in Facebook and you can reach out to me that way. Uh, so I can work with you in your community on uh, trying to empower it and resolve these policing issues that we're going through right now uh, for longstanding change. Now, in regards to the work I'm doing in Chicago, I'm currently running a criminal justice reform program in Illinois for a, non, uh, a nonprofit uh, called uh, Heartland Alliance. They're based in the Midwest and do a lot of work to address poverty, both internationally and uh, domestically. Uh, so I run the criminal justice program there for 